When I read the like these information, I notice how limited information we have. I know we feel like we're flooded with information, but actually the things that are happening mm. like outside China, outside the U.S., outside some of the hot spots that, that are in the news, we don't really get much information regarding what's going on. But reading about these mm. really is ringing alarm bells for me. And I hope through our show for more people around the world, mm -hmm. we can't just sit back and just, you know, watch them on TV now. It's going to hit every one of us. I mean, it literally did hit me. Yeah. I was Serious. out in public in Beijing. The floods began. Oh, were you in? I was crossing um, from the west side of Beijing to the east side of Beijing mm. as the flooding was starting. And fortunately, here in the center of Beijing, within the Fifth Ring Road, it was, you know, reasonable. It wasn't like mm -hmm. as bad as it was elsewhere, like in Mongtogo. It was just Mongtogo. raining, basically. Yeah. Right, right. In Mongtogo, we all saw the footage of, you know, cars being swept away and things like that. Right. So it got pretty severe. But what really struck me is the Maui fires, because I got mm. to interview a local from Lahaina, from where the fires mm. actually were, who was evacuated from her house and is helping people. Her name is Paulina Marion. Mm. And uh, she said that the 100 dead figure is an underestimation and that it's more likely to be above a thousand. I heard that too. So yeah. because yeah, a lot of I mean, people I were don't, in the ocean. Yeah. People were literally running into the ocean to get away from the fires. People were jumping into their swimming pools mm -hmm. and rivers mm -hmm. and things to escape the flames. Welcome to the bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show which connects East and West. My name is Jason. Today with me is Bebe. Hello, Bebe. Hey. Hi, Jason. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Do you feel the new freshness, coolness in the air in Beijing? I was walking home from lunch today and I thought, wow, it's hot, but it's not as hot as it was last week. Right. And that's the first feeling I got like that in a, since it began. First sense of relief for this season. Yeah. And it coincides yeah. with, you know, the solar terms in China, right? There's whole like 24 solar terms. No. You know, the start of... Um, yeah, I know that there are 24. Yeah, I don't well, I don't, I can't memorize them, but they coincide with the change of weather like so perfectly. So fall has basically started mm. and I can feel it. I can feel it in my nose. Isn't that amazing? So <laughs> from now, maybe not <laughs> from now until the start of winter, I'm going to sound like this. And this is oh, man. already the good condition. Like um, normally this is a travesty. The two best seasons of the year, spring and fall, I know, are like hell for half of the world. And the other half, these are the two best seasons. And, you know, I was a little sad because I know what to expect in the fall season. It has happened in the past like four or five years. But I didn't know that summer would get so hot in Beijing. Wow. So now I feel like, you know, only four seasons and two are knocked out <laughs> as, quote unquote, <laughs> the suffering seasons. Because <laughs> one is for the heat, unbearable heat. And the second is for allergy. I think you're forgetting how brutal winter can be in Beijing. There is that week when you walk outside and it feels like you can't keep going that like I'm not prepared for this. No human can survive this. But then you can, you know, you can layer, right? You can put more clothes on. You can stay inside. But for the heat and for the fall season, like, I don't know what to do to block out the grass seeds. Whatever from the grass seeds that's triggering my allergy reactions. And speaking of, like, cold season, the worst I've ever felt, like the coldest place I've ever been, is actually in Boston, and I have been to Dongbei, which is northwestern part of China. Eastern. North eastern part of China. Yes. Like it's like minus 25, min minus 30 Celsius. I was just there. By yeah, the but it wasn't it didn't feel that cold because it wasn't windy. But in Boston, it was like, woohoo, it's just blowing in your face. And it literally <laughs> cuts Those through your skin and to your bones. And I felt so cold. So, yes, we are talking about hmm. weather, but not like nice weather. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> poor us humans. Let's get come back around. OK. You know, we are talking about global climate disasters today, which is related mm -hmm. with official numbers saying 100 dead in Maui. Some are calling the disaster the worst 
natural disaster in U.S. history. Fires, which made New York City the world's most polluted city, coming from Canada, with pollution lingering for weeks. Footage of rescue teams in northern China where we are during the recent flooding, with simultaneous floods in Slovenia and Georgia in Europe, all the while Italy and other countries are Mm -hmm. struggling to prepare for what's next. Has the world, you know, humanity woken up to climate change? What do you think, baby? Well, I think at least we have. And I have 13 pages of printout in very small font to fit them all together, listing some of the major mm, climate issues or disasters from across the globe. And when I read the, like these information, I notice how limited information we have. I know we feel like we're flooded with information, but actually the things that are happening mm. like outside China, outside the U.S., outside some of the hot spots that, that are in the news, we don't really get much information regarding what's going on. But reading about these mm. really is ringing alarm bells for me. And I hope through our show for more people around the world, Mm -hmm. we can't just sit back and just, you know, watch them on TV now. It's going to hit every one of us. I mean, it literally did hit me. I was out in public in Beijing. The floods began. Oh, were you in? I was crossing from the west side of Beijing to the east side of Beijing Mm. as the flooding was starting. And fortunately, here in the center of Beijing, within the fifth ring road, it was, you know, reasonable. It wasn't like mm-hmm. as bad as it was elsewhere, like in Mongtogo. It was just Mong-Togo. raining, basically. Yeah. Right, right. In Mongtogo, we all saw the footage of, you know, cars being swept away and things like that. Right. So it got pretty severe. But what really struck me is the Maui fires, because I got mm. to interview a local from Lahaina, from where the fires mm. actually were, who was evacuated from her house and is helping people. Her name is Paulina Marion. Mm. And uh, she said that the 100 dead figure is an underestimation and that it's more likely to be above a thousand. I heard that too. So yeah. because yeah, a lot of I mean, people I were don't, in the ocean. Yeah. People were j- literally running into the ocean to get away from the fires. People were jumping into their swimming pools mm-hmm. and rivers mm-hmm. and things to escape the flames. And Biden just left Maui to go back to the mainland. Well, that's what, 13, two weeks after it happened. Yeah, exactly. And he also, I don't want to be super anti-Biden or whatever, but he fell asleep during the uh, presentation on the issue. So he wasn't really there. He just his. Well, he is, you know, he's in his yeah, 80s. He's quite old. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. So what other information did your guest tell you about what's actually happening on location? Well, she said there was a media blackout so that most of the area of Lahaina that had been engulfed in flames was Mm -hmm. very quickly sealed off by local authorities. And they didn't let anyone, including the media, in because they didn't want pictures and footage, presumably, of what had taken place. So most of the footage that people got to see was right before they basically created a media quarantine area or Mm. reporters who had snuck in illegally to try to get footage of the aftermath and or people who were flying drones nearby. So the authorities actually did not allow media to go in to film and show the full extent of the damage. Even rescuers Mm. like her and her friends and the community were prevented from going in during as the fire was happening and in the aftermath. Furthermore, people were not allowed to evacuate as the fire was coming in some cases. She has an interview that she posted on her TikTok with a gentleman locals know as Fish. And this man said that he was in an area near the Civic Center where the police were literally telling people to stay put. And he, this gentleman Fish, thought this is insanity and that the fire would be here in one or two minutes. So he left Mm -hmm. on foot and everyone else who were in their cars were being held there as the fire was approaching. And he said shortly thereafter, as he was leaving, he heard what sounded like explosions, presumably cars exploding. Oh, no. Why does it sound so bizarre to me, this whole thing? I know. Okay, maybe I just don't know the details, but we do have a lot of footage, you know, of the fire Mm -hmm. in Hawaii. And you know what they reminded me Mm -hmm. of? 
while I was uh, looking at them. Have you ever read The Road by McCormick? Yeah. McCarthy? Yeah, I've read the book and I've seen the movie. I know, like this, that's not one of the books that I, the type of books that I normally read, mm. but it was so popular and people were talking about it. It was like, I was curious and I started reading it. And that was like the closest picture of the end of the world. What's the word? Apocalyptic? Yeah. A scene that I've ever read about in a book. Mm. And I don't usually watch movie like that. And it was so sad. And it just cuts like as you read along, it cuts deeper and deeper. I mean, I, I, of course, until the very end where, you know, the dad passes, right? Only the child survives that, mm -hmm. you know, that uh, while watching, looking at the pictures of uh, Hawaii and of course, of other disasters around the world. I kept thinking about you know, what happened in that book. And I feel like this might not be too far away for a lot of people, you know, regarding flooding with well, China uh, for people living in China, for Chinese people. We know about floods, right? It has always happened. It's usually down in Zhengzhou in the, you know, more southern than here. Yeah, like more uh, central area. But now it's becoming more frequent. And more yeah, common. Yeah, it's spreading out. Uh, even yeah, more common. And I know taking place in more even regions. in Beijing. Beijing is known to be rather, you know, like the weather is pretty fair. Nothing dramatic happens. Yeah, but I guess another reason is because Beijing is now so much bigger than let's say like a hundred years ago, right? Because it keeps expanding, the rings keeps expanding. So the severe flooding happens along, I guess, more like the periphery area. Not really central Beijing. But, you know, for what I found, I just did a simple research and all these information mm -hmm. were available. The things that are happening around the world. Do you want to hear just a couple that's maybe not on your list? Absolutely. I think we can't ignore this kind of information. So I would love to hear more about it. Yeah. So it shows you that the sphere of influence of uh, climate change is not limited. It's like across the globe. For example... Um, hundreds of millions across the U.S., Europe, Asia are hit by severe heat waves. Uh, for example, the islands of Sicily and Sardinia mm. in Italy, they could have experienced the hottest ever temperature like recorded in Europe. I think they were the numbers recorded were around 48 degrees Celsius. And that is hot, like above 40. You won't like it above 40. <laughs> and. Uh, for a few weeks in June, uh, if you remember, it was the start of summer and it hit us really hard here in Beijing. I don't think I've ever felt like temperature of above 40 in Beijing in June. Usually it's like for a week or so, mm. maybe in the middle of August and not quite 40 either. Mm. And from what I know, a lot of places in Europe are not ready for this because a lot of people don't have air conditioning because it doesn't normally get that hot. So that's in Italy and also in Greece, wildfires are raging and even children at like summer camps have been evacuated in coastal towns outside of the capital and also in the U.S. So in California's Death Valley, mm. they reached a, a near record temperature of 52 degrees. I want to put some context on that. Mm. Death Valley is actually the hottest place each year in the United States. Mm. It's known for having the highest temperature in the entire 48 states. That's why it's called Death Valley. That's why it's not called Comfort Valley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually kind of smallish in terms of the total geographic space that it takes up compared to other uh, you know, geographical areas of the United States. However, the temperatures go sky high every year. Yeah, that's I think I don't think we will survive 52. No, that's 125.6 in Fahrenheit. And that was recorded on July 16th and also in over in East Asia. Japan also issued like heat stroke alerts, mm. which would impact tens of millions of people. Mm. And Typhoon, we've experienced, what was the name? <laughs> it was like a re-character name. I don't, you've probably seen it on the news that hit parts of China. And literally, like the wind was so strong, it ripped off roofs, off houses and peeled off like layers of the wall off buildings. Mm. It was quite scary. And so on, in July, mid-July, Typhoon Talim hit the south of China. Mm. Tens of thousands of people had to like leave their homes. And landslides, flash floods. Mm. There, I saw videos of quite a few flash floods. And hopefully we will never have to experience that. But it's so scary because things happen in seconds. 
like it would just be a normal stream where people mm. you know in the videos people were still playing inside you know they were you know, swimming around and even with their what do you call those lifesavers yeah mm. you know, with kids and they're fishing and in literally seconds like water would come from nowhere and the whole thing becomes flooded and there are uh, people shouting on the uh, like on the banks if they're not even like big rivers mm -hmm. telling them to get out to get out because they don't know how serious it is you don't see it when you're in the stream and i guess that's why they're called flesh floods so and they have their cases in india and also i saw this news about vermont so on june 10th mm -hmm. record-breaking rainfall hit the state of vermont you never hear anything bad happening in Vermont in the news. <laughs> Have you ever heard anything like, you know, <laughs> out of the normal range? It's all about skiing and beautiful scenery, right? It's peaceful, mm -hmm. but I guess it has hit Vermont. Mm. Um, so on July 10th, record-breaking rainfall, the Wai-Nu-Ski River mm. broke its banks from previous heavy rain. And it was a, for Vermont, it was a historical flooding. It was actually the worst natural disaster since 1927. Maybe it's not as, doesn't sound as crazy for other places, but not for Vermont. And also tropical storm Mawar hits Japan, Guam, and the Philippines, and the island of Taiwan. And it's unusually intense, according to reports. Well, and also as Greenpeace Philippines campaigner, mm. Jefferson Chua said the Philippines is in a constant state of climate emergency. Can you imagine that being in a constant state of climate emergency? Well, I know what's interesting about the Philippines is that it is between and it depends on how you measure them, six and ten thousand islands. Mm. So I could imagine because there are so many tiny little microclimates and tiny communities that the reason it has to be in a state of constant emergency is there are just so many disparate, different situations on so many different islands yeah and he says he said that super typhoons have become our new normal yeah like alongside long-term impacts such as drought sea level rise and resource depletion hmm. that is a new mental state that we have to face you know because you know as we said back in the days once every few years maybe longer than that, you know, we will experience a, a severe flood in China. And then it would be all over the news. Everybody was paying attention. Now it's like floods in multiple cities uh, at the same time or in the span of a few days. And as we were watching the news, we feel like, oh my gosh, like all these rescuing, because soldiers, you know, from the PLA and other public resources, police officers, they will all go and help. You see that on in the news all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Here in China. I saw an enormous amount of... I mean, that's what surprises me about the difference between what happened in Beijing and what happened in Maui is that when Mengtogo got flooded, like the next day, the PLA was there in force, like helping everyone. Right. And they only just started leaving in the last few days. And you have tons mm. and tons of footage of them. And they clean uh, yeah, up. They clean up, they help, they, they put all this... Re but in Maui, it was... Okay, when I was interviewing Polina, one of the things she said that I guess there were several fires at the same time at different places on the same island. And so the fire department was spread thin and that may have contributed to the lack of mm. taking care of the situation. But in the aftermath, there was very little help as well, which is great confuses me. The United States has mm. the most well-paid army in the world. Why can't National Guard forces and that kind of thing be deployed more readily? I think that there's a lot that the U.S. can learn from China about this. Yeah. And also the U.S. is busy deploying troops all over the place around the globe. Mm, mm. Well, that might be another reason, but that's not something we're going to get into today. Mm. But, you know, reading about all this, what I feel like is we can't just sit back and watch the news anymore. Like we need to change our mentality when it comes to climate change. Mm -hmm. First of all, these changes are real and these natural disasters are becoming much more frequent. Yeah. It's like, it's not even news anymore. It just happens. You know, whenever it wants, it just happens. Um, so in the future, we need to get ready before things hits us so bad. Mm. And this is a new normal. I think that's something we should adapt to. And also, there's something I want to tell or share with our listeners, kind of a, another concept, because we keep talking about, you know, protecting the earth, protecting the environment. But the focal point, mm -hmm. what we need to pay attention to is our own vulnerability. Because I think the earth is fine. You know, the earth has seen so much in its long history. I just finished reading the like 600 page a short history of nearly everything by Bill Bryson. And 
in the book, uh, of course, you know, mm-hmm. I guess our human estimates of what has happened in history, right, regarding the planet, it has seen everything. You know, with the flooding, with the fires and volcanoes, these are nothing mm-hmm. for the Earth. It barely blinks. It's a much, much worse. But for us, we need to be aware that we have a much narrower span of comfort zone in which we can exist. We are really vulnerable when it comes to like natural conditions. And I think we are on the brink of just breaking that comfort zone because of things we contribute back into the natural state, right? All the fossil fuel we've burned, other careless things we've done to destroy the equilibrium of our own ecosystem. So I think the focal point is we need to get serious now. Mm -hmm. It's about our own existence. The earth will be fine. Even after we are gone, for whatever reason, from whatever kind of disaster, the earth will be fine. It will recover. Well, you know, there's a famous American comedian philosopher who shares your point of view and said this in the 80s, exactly what you're saying. But there are circumstances in which we could actually destroy Earth. In the event of a cataclysmic nuclear exchange, there are potentials for us to knock the Earth off of its uh, axis and actually destabilize its orbit, causing it to move closer to the sun and potentially be completely vaporized. Or will become some kind of like a large comet for other planets. <laughs> yeah. Like so knocked out of its Hopefully, course. you know, I mean, I'm hoping that humans can survive. So let's, but you know, I share your concern that humanity is at, at risk, but I also. It's our own issue. Yeah. We, we're not saving anything else. I also yeah. feel that the reality is that it would be, it's a very unlikely circumstance that all of us will be deposed of by our idiotic actions. I think it's much more likely that we will, in fact, create tens, if not hundreds of millions of more environmental refugees. So I think for all of us reasonable people in the world, one action that we can take beyond trying to not destroy the environment, it seems like it's almost out of our control. I think having safety kits, I know this sounds like a ridiculously simple thing, but, you know, keeping small supply of food rations and like flashlights and like, you know, like survival gear at home yes, is important for all people that can mm-hmm. afford to have that because in the event of a very fast oncoming environmental catastrophe, localized catastrophe, we should be able to support ourselves. Mm. Actually, I don't see this as being selfish. I see it like this. If you are able to survive well when your mm-hmm. neighborhood is undergoing a catastrophe, you're then more likely to do two things, be able to help others and not right. contribute to the rescue efforts needing to save you on top of your neighbors. So if right. you can save yourself, yeah. you're actually helping your neighbors increase the probability of their survival as well. I totally agree with that. And you know that there's the kind of biscuits, like really condensed biscuits that I think they were made for the military. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm t- I don't yeah, know yeah, yeah. about the name in English, but I've actually seen videos of people selling those, <laughs> you know, on TikTok or Chinese version of TikTok mm. for multiple reasons. Right. There were uh, could be another pandemic. Well, we really hope that won't happen mm. or flooding or natural disasters. It's good to have some really condensed form of uh, food resources in the house. Plus water, you'll be able to survive for a few days. And the ability to clean water. So having water filtration systems, there's something called a life straw. Mm. I, I, do you know about this, baby? No. There are different kinds of life straws provided by a company called Life Straw. And you can actually put it into different kinds of water that are not acceptable for human consumption and just drink it. And they have different kinds of life straws depending on the degree of contamination in local water bodies. So if you could have a bunch of water and you need to be mobile, you can't just carry a five gallon Mm. tank of water around with you. But if you can have something like a life straw, you can actually just bring your ability to drink clean water with you wherever you go. In addition, Mm -hmm. I know that this company donates water filtration systems to undeveloped countries Mm using the profit that they make from selling life straws. So it's just called life straw. Like if I just go online and search for that. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's good to have around the house. See, that's changing mentality now, Jason, because I was going to talk to you about how us, we are about the same age, Mm. uh, born around, let's say 1980s. Wow. 
And that's very thank kind you. of you. Mine starts with the seventies, <laughs> but it's okay. Okay, well, close, <laughs> just a few years. The couple decades that we've experienced, over four decades that we've experienced,、mm. I think in the future we'll realize that they will turn out to be the abnormally yeah, peaceful,、maybe. that's sad, and prosperous and safe for decades. And it, it, this just hit me in the past year or so. Because for us, we feel like that's normal,、mm. right? The world is supposed to be peaceful. Right. It's supposed to be things are supposed to get better, especially across generations.、Mm. And now, in the past two two years, what we've seen,、uh, especially with you know war, a war going on, and might be expanding. Yeah. I experienced a reset of what to expect for the coming decades.、Mm. Maybe for us, Jason, things will be going downhill. <laughs> Hopefully,、Aww. not dramatically. But maybe for a short period of time,、mm-hmm. and then things will adjust. Let's hope, right? Yeah. But really, it's、uh, changing your expectations will help you to adapt a little better. This is not to say that we're not going to do anything, right? But we will be carrying out actions with a calmer mind because we expected this. Oh yeah. You're listening to the bridge. I'm sure that you may have also read that because entering a new phase of human life, where things are catastrophe seem to be stacking up on one another, that there are I don't want to say opportunities. I want to put I try to put it differently, but there were going to be a, a growing need for entire cities to do preparation. In the event of、mm. climate catastrophes, so like if we we've seen it in Venice、mm. where they're trying to set up water pumps and the ability to stabilize the city because it's sinking and water levels are rising, but there are other cities like coastal cities、oh. that are in dramatic need preventative measures in case of tsunamis and rising water. So this means they're going to have to be setting up ocean barriers、mm. and deploying new kinds of technologies、right. to prevent catastrophes or move. Moving elsewhere, it see it's hard when you have a city like Tokyo, where Greater Tokyo is thirty five million people to just move everyone. So what do you you they're going to have to take actions to、mm. actually protect the city from the possibility of tsunamis and earthquakes and flooding、mm-hmm. because the all of these things are increasing in the frequency of their the incidents that people were are experiencing and you can't just move you know、right. a lot of again in American city maybe you have a few hundred thousand people you know that seems like a lot for an American but here in Asia in Korea in Japan in China、mm. you have cities of tens of millions of people you, it's a whole new story yeah yeah it, you can't just move everyone you have to make it work where you are I was reading an article from edition dot cnn dot com It's an article from July nineteenth,、mm. and it was asking a question: Is this extreme weather the new normal?、Mm. And then some scientists say that there is no such thing. What does it mean? So we were thinking about: Okay, so flooding will be more frequent. It's going to be hotter in the summer, and water levels will rise. These are some of the things we know that have happened and might keep happening if we don't do anything,、mm. right, to stop the trend. But scientists are telling us that that might not be it.、Mm. Uh, the scary part is we might not know what's going to happen.、Mm. Now, the terms that come up in these articles I've been reading is it will be uncharted territory, meaning that we don't even have estimates of how things, how bad things are going to get, how frequent these disasters will happen. And terms like unknown magnitude, you know, unknown、mm. frequency. You're scaring me, baby. Well, let's. We have to face the fact, right?、Mm. And also, what some scientists have suggested is we should call this not the new normal, but the new abnormal.、Mm. The new abnormal,、mm-hmm. because it will be things that are not like not just tweaks to what we are used to, even nowadays. Not just tweaks, but like major changes. Or other terms like shifting baseline. I think this scientist from the UK, a professor from UK, he said it's much worse than that. Like much worse than just tweaks to normals. The impacts become worse and worse as fossil fuel, you know, keeps burning and the warming continues. It's a shifting baseline of ever more devastating impacts as long as the Earth continues to warm. So if we read about like the world's history, the Earth's history, we know that there were periods where Maybe the Earth was covered with ice, 
like the whole globe is just an ice globe. And there were times when I suppose volcanoes, right, were very active,、mm-hmm. and there will be like seas of fire in parts of Earth. So we are now, luckily, in a period of time、mm-hmm. in Earth's history that is relatively peaceful. But it doesn't mean that that's the normal state of what the planet Earth is like. So maybe we're just like surviving in the gaps between two <laughs> really, really abnormal conditions from the human perspective. But maybe normal for the Earth.、Mm-hmm. You know, things keep changing. I'm scaring Jason. You've been awfully quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right, and I don't know what comes next. Obviously, if not even scientists know, but I mean, I want to talk very briefly about Maui and how it's related to global climate change because、mm-hmm. it's. I'm from California,、mm-hmm. and every year we have these super magnitude fires which burn down huge portions of the state and dehome hundreds of people,、oh. and so you know I'm used to it. But what happened in Maui was on a different level because. Several things happened at once. You have extreme temperatures broader. This is a Soul Sire Berga from Time.com. Why the Maui wildfire was so deadly, and what happened with the burning of these two thousand five hundred acres in Lahaina、mm-hmm. was due to several factors combining. First, you have. Abnormally high temperatures owing to climate change. Then you have abnormally high temperatures owing to El Nino, and then you have abnormally fast high winds at about eighty-one miles per hour. So as the fire began, it spread、oh. unusually quickly because of a confluence of factors that came together to create that kind of circumstance. So wherever you are in the world right now, you might think, "Oh, well, you know, it's usually safe here." But that's you know you might just be surprised、mm-hmm. when an unusual confluence of factors come together to threaten your local community. That's why、right. it's important to note that this affects everyone. You may think you're safe where you are, but because the environment is changing so rapidly, it may just come for your community as well. It was shocking how fast it all happened. Because when I was、uh, watching the news about the Hawaiian fire, I was like, "Why don't people get out?" You know, do like it's not like a flash flood, right? They should have a little bit of time to get out of their house to prepare. If you watch, like you know, another house burning miles away, you should be able to get out. But I guess with the wind, things would happen so much more faster. Yeah. And this reminds me of what I read about、yeah. Chile. So record heat sparks one of the deadliest wildfires in Chile's history. So Chile was experiencing a decade's worth of extreme dry weather. So it has been dry for a long time, and which leads to a mega drought. And with summer temperature topping forty degrees Celsius, that's one hundred four Fahrenheit, accompanied by strong winds, this sparked one of the deadliest wildfires in the country's history in February this year. Not even now, like in the winter times. For them, it's not winter. And then it's so dry. Mm-hmm. A dry weather and drought, and then strong wind. This led to wildfires, and the fire devoured a lot of farmland. Of course, also destroyed hundreds of homes and killing. I think killing twenty four people, and then that leads to food, like food shortage because a lot of farmland has been damaged.、Mm. So it's not just a fire, right? There is like a string of issues, one after another, and it's similar to what was happening. Uh, what happened in Hawaii and also other things like in Sudan? I read about how they are suffering from flooding,、mm. and that was a little odd because I thought, oh, flooding in Sudan—that's not you know usually what we hear. Because when you hear the word Sudan, the country,、mm. you think of dry weather, right? No, no. They have an enormous river system. One of you know, remember when you and I interviewed Jeffrey Sachs?、Mm. One of the things that he proposed in that episode that wherein we interviewed him was damming up the rivers and in, in the mountains of Sudan、oh. because there are floods there. And there,、mm. here's the thing: I want to try to slow down a little. That if we were able to put hydropower dams there, not only would we be able to provide electricity for all of Sudan, maybe we would be able to provide enough electricity.、Mm-hmm. For several surrounding African countries, that's how much potential hydroelectric power that、mm. is available there. If we just installed enough, secondarily,、mm-hmm. we could regulate the water flow so there wouldn't be as much flooding, and、right. you could actually then have better agricultural outcomes, better yields、mm. coming from Sudan, potentially providing enough grain for. 
all of Northern Africa from this one region. That's why uh, Jeffrey, along with a lot of other people, including the BRI, China and China Exim Bank, Mm -hmm. are very eager to start building more dams in Sudan Mm. because it could dramatically change the outcome for millions of people living in Sudan and the adjoining countries. But we do need a peaceful state, right, for things like these kinds of projects to be carried out. So hopefully peace, more peace, right? Um, Well, thank you for remembering that. I don't even remember those details. But what I see in the news is that South Sudan sees its fourth year of consecutive flooding. It's uh yeah fourth year of historic flooding in 2023 impacting around 1 million people and there's no sign of the water receding they're seeing mm. a permanent climate change mm. permanent climate displacements like people mm. would have to be moved elsewhere and also other parts of Africa cyclone freddy ravages malawi mozambique and madagascar and zimbabwe and the cyclone was so intense, it broke the global record for the most accumulated cyclone energy. That's the first time I heard it in that kind of term, because that is a lot of energy, fast-moving energy. And it set a new record of the longest-running cyclone in history. Mm. And of course, you know, after the destroyment of uh, infrastructure, especially hospitals and water and sanitation facilities... You can imagine the aftermath, right? The public health concerns. And with all these natural disasters, Mm. you know, things don't stop once the cyclone stops or the flooding stops. People have to, they take time. It takes time to restore people's lives to their old normal if they could. Sometimes I think a new setting has to be put in place. Mm. I think it's really interesting because... America has an enormous ability to impact the development of global energy use and and, and so forth. Not because it has a giant population, actually has a pretty small population, Mm -hmm. four or five percent of the world's population, but because it has an abnormal amount of money. So that is power. Military power. Well, I mean, I'm focusing on the money part here. Mm -hmm. The United States, because it is still by nominal terms, the largest economy in the world, has an a huge lever that it can use to change global outcomes, including those for climate change. I know this sounds this sounds a little weird, but I'm actually a little happy that New York got blown over with uh, some of the smoke from Canada. Mm. And the reason is New York in the United States has an abnormal amount of political power in the United States because Mm. a lot of the wealthiest, a lot of the most well-connected, a lot of the most politically connected people in the United States are in New York. So as the wildflowers are still persisting, by the way, Mm. in uh, Canada, a lot of that smoke blew in. You know, one of the things I do, I want to just go on an aside, is I look at AQI in Washington, D.C. and Beijing and compare them Mm. online for people so that people can see how, in fact, clean mm. the air in Beijing is now versus the way it was 10 years yes, ago. Yes, the but change is amazing. I, mm. Yeah, When I went on IQ Air, which is the website I go on to track this, and I looked at New York during that time, even I was like, what is going on? Because it went up to like a thousand a PMI for AQI in, in New York. And I was like, what? okay, I like to show that Beijing is cleaner, but this is not normal. This is like, okay, Beijing's 20 and New York is like a thousand. Um, so immediately I, I started looking at news sources and New York had turned orange and some of the, some great photography was done mm. showing Times Square, just looking like some sort of science mm-hmm. fiction dystopia, but it's tragically bad for people's lungs. And I'm sure that agitated a lot of people with very sensitive conditions. I don't, mean to be insensitive to the pain and suffering that it caused those people. Mm. However, because of all the incredible amount of influence that this region of the United States and the United States has globally, I'm hoping that maybe some influential people will say, oh, Mm -hmm. this is enough. We need to do something. And maybe they will step up their game in terms of deploying better green energy technology in the United States and globally, because that is what we need to slow down the speed with which these catastrophes Mm -hmm. are accelerating. I totally understand where you come from, because if it wasn't because of how bad the air was, let's say five or six years earlier in Beijing, Mm. when you couldn't really see the sun, Mm. right? When the sky would uh, oftentimes be covered with smog. Now we haven't heard the word smog for years. If it wasn't because of those terrible conditions, I don't think policies would change, Mm. right? I don't think people would get 
get real about making changes. And they did. And look how nice and clean Beijing is. Every day I walk I'm out. I'm looking at it. It's, it's, it's spectacular. It is. It's so beautiful. Like six years ago, we wouldn't even, you know, hope for this. We would just want a relatively clean sky. We didn't know that it would, it would become this pretty. Hmm. But of course, that's the way it is. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's only that for those few years uh, with all the factories and all the cars, right, that the beautiful sky was covered. So I understand where mm. you come from. A lot of times people, when they are not impacted directly, they don't know that it's real. They don't know how bad it actually gets. Mm. So hopefully something good will come from this, right? Policy changes and people exactly. and putting yes. aside politics, right? Th nowadays, things get dragged. Things become stopped or things become... I don't know, like because of political reasons, right? Mm. The let's say you mentioned uh, solar panels. It's mm -hmm. so much cheaper to buy from China. Why don't we focus on the more severe issues that's impacting every one of us, like climate change? And maybe other things could wait a little bit. Let's all survive first, right? Oh yeah. You're listening to the bridge. I was talking to a friend of mine, and this sounds outrageous, but it's true. He got his hands on one gigawatt of solar panel generating capacity in hardware that came from China. And somehow he wanted to import this into the United States. And he, because tariffs were so incredibly high, he ended up selling it to other buyers mm. in Europe and in Africa. And this is very frustrating because if, in fact, climate change is you know, number one or number two, you know, the highest priority issue in the world facing humanity today, then why would we have tariffs on mm. technology that will help um, alleviate, ameliorate the situation? That doesn't make sense. I get that people in the United States are like, we want to bring factory jobs back. This isn't helping. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Firstly, it's not bringing mm. factory jobs back. All it is is making solar more expensive and making it more difficult for the United States to deploy mm -hmm. solar green energy technology in the United States. If the United States, we, and I'm an American here, mm. if we are very serious about tackling this problem, we should drop all tariffs globally between every single nation on this kind of technology. You know, once we ha are in a better position and there are, you know, we're reaching close to zero emissions globally, mm. then we can look at economic situations. Or if there are other ways that the United States can provide jobs for its citizens, those should be the ways that we are looking at providing jobs, mm -hmm. not just the, the solar and wind energy, hydropower energy fields are too important for us moving forward as a species to make it political, to make it economic. We should just be using what we can immediately right. to guarantee human life is able to be sustained in a healthy fashion moving forward. Because it's clear from scientific evidence that this kind of uh, climate change and its uh, catastrophe that it brings are the direct results of human actions, right? In this article, addition... .cnn.com, it listed a few impossible events, quote unquote impossible, like, for example, Siberian heat wave in 2020. Do you remember? It's already three years ago. It's, 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 it seems like last year. Oh, it was in 2020. Wow. Like, the, like Siberia was on fire. Widespread wildfires in Siberia. Wow. Right? Because you, you know it to be one of the coldest places on the planet. Um, so in 2020, a prolonged, unprecedented heat wave wow. seared one of the coldest places on Earth, yeah. triggering widespread wildfires. And temperature in a small town, small Siberian town, hit 38 Celsius. That's hot. That's like 104.4 degrees Fahrenheit, the warmest temperature ever recorded in the Arctic. And it was, I think it was also, was it the end of 2019 or 2020? There was the wildfires in Australia. You remember that, right? It wasn't too far away from that. So this is... It was a terrible impact on local life and ecosystems in Australia. I know. It was very tragic. So things like this in this article is telling us that things like this were impossible events if not because of human impact. Now, these extreme weather events would have been all but impossible without global warming. 
and we contributed to global warming. Mm. And this, so this is one on the list. And another one is Pacific Northwest heat wave in 2021. And it says the end of June of 2021 was unforgettable for parts of the Pacific Northwest because a historical heat wave killed hundreds and triggered devastating fires and worsened an already unrelenting drought in parts of the region. And even some states in the U.S., like Washington, Oregon, and also western provinces of Canada were affected. They had record temperature of like 49.6 Celsius. That's not uh, habitable for humans. And also in 2022, northern hemisphere drought. So these are all things that are not supposed to happen, right? They, these are impossible events. So from North America to Europe to China, great area of northern hemisphere experienced extreme drought mm. in the summer last year, 2022. And this strained water resources, ruining crops, and also priming the landscape for wildfires. So heat, drought, water level drops, and crops suffer, and then food shortage, and also change of the landscape leads to more frequent wildfires. So now, uh, which are like 20 times more likely now. Mm. And then from 2020 to 2023, there's been a three-year drought in the Horn of Africa, which is already the world's most impoverished regions. Mm. And this has caused crops to wither, water to disappear, and of course, livestock and people to starve in large parts of Kenya, Somalia, and Ethiopia. It was the worst in 40 years. And then there's the Mediterranean heat in 2023, right? It's been felt even in April. April is like, what, spring? It's not even summer. A blistering heat wave with temperature far more typical of late summer mm. swept Spain, Portugal, Morocco, and Algeria, exasperating a severe drought that had already left crops dry. And these are all from human-caused global heating, because mm -hmm. it's normally this will not happen. That's not even the end. And we're experiencing this year extreme heat in South Asia. Mm. And they used the word in an article, they used the word brutal heat wave in April, not even in summertime. And that covers countries including Vietnam, Myanmar, Laos, India, Bangladesh. They've all seen all-time temperature records. And of course, we remember the Australia Black Summer fires from 19, the end of 2019 to 2020. And then Western U.S. drought from 2020 to 2023, hurricanes, and then Pakistan floods in 2022. These are all quote unquote impossible events, but they have taken place. And they are evidence of you know, human impact on the climate. I was thinking about the context, our show, The Bridge, and we have covered microplastics and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. solar power and global climate catastrophes. And we become in a very environmentally focused show. And I was wondering... Well, I think just reality focused. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because this affects people everywhere. This of East mm -hmm. and West, whatever's happening to all of us affects everyone everywhere. And so this is something that we share the burden of the reality of catastrophes, which are happening in Hawaii and California and New York, Canada, and floods here in Beijing and a couple of years ago in Zhengzhou, mm -hmm. like and hurricanes in South Asia and your list of basically everywhere on the planet that you just went over, which was I didn't even go not, over everything. Uh, <laughs> it was only a few pages from my uh, 13 page document. Oh, and also Sorry, I want to mention, because you mentioned El Nino. El Nino, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm not saying this correctly, but I want to share with our listeners, because I just learned about this term today. So El Nino, how do you say it? It is a periodic change in the weather patterns in which heat from the south, mm. the southern hemisphere, rises up into the northern hemisphere beyond the equatorial regions, temporarily changing the temperatures and weather patterns for the northern hemisphere. Yeah, so there's the... They call it El Nino. El Nino. And there's the La Nina. La Nina. That's the cool face mm. of Enzo. And the El Nino is the warm face. So superimposed on top of these long-term warming trends. So we see in a long-term warming trends, long-term mm. as in human terms, right? Superimposed mm -hmm. on top of that are these natural climate fluctuations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the most significant of which are the La Nina, which has a cooling effect. 
and El Nino, which has a heating effect. Mm. So it's not things going just one line going on the charts. Right. We have other conditions, changes superimposed and making things, I guess, a lot more complicated. And so in this article that I found, it's also from edition.cn.com. Mm-hmm. It's telling us that this June, like across the world, was half a degree warmer than a typical June. That sounds okay, right? You know, for most of us. No, it doesn't sound okay. <laughs> because... That sounds terrifying. Basically, because we're trying to prevent one point one and a half percent Celsius change globally. If you're saying that this June was already a half a percent Celsius warmer, mm. then we're not doing a very good job. I know, but before I read this, I was like half a degree. I mean, that's okay. That's bearable. But in the past... Uh, the article said usually these records are broken by like a tenth or even hundredth of a degree. Mm. That all of a sudden this year, it was the record was broken by half a degree. And so it's telling us that the changes in climate conditions is not like linear. Maybe there will be a point where if you have a chart, right, let's say the temperature, the line for temperature would just shoot up. And that's really what we are most afraid of. If it's just incremental, I think we can we have the time to find ways to deal with it, right? Maybe hmm. uh, more air conditioning or build uh, stronger homes for flooding everything. More trees. Yeah, more trees. Everything takes time. But if let's say next year it becomes like a half or one degree warmer or even more, then we won't even have time to act. And speaking of, have you heard of um, the climate change 2023 synthesis report? No, I haven't. It's uh, This is an article from unep.org. Mm-hmm. So this report is based on years of work by IPCC, which is Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Mm-hmm. It says the report reiterates that humans are responsible for all global heating over the past 200 years, leading to a current temperature rise of 1.1 Celsius degrees above pre-industrial levels. Now, it's not like Mm. it's not 1.1 degrees for every region in the world. I think this is just an average. In some regions, yeah, some regions, maybe it's like a couple degrees higher. It's a global average. That's a very stark difference. Well, that's why they actually stopped saying global warming. They started saying global climate change instead, Mm -hmm. because some places became colder. Some Mm -hmm. places it rained more and some places became, you know, inundated with drought. Right. So people were confused, you know, and saying, oh, what are you talking about global warming? It got colder where I am. Right. So that's they changed the term to global climate change because it caused normal patterns mm. to be disrupted right and also if just global warming people will think that oh it's gonna get a little hotter you know that's okay i'll find a way to deal with that it's not that more suntan right? lotion it's, than an umbrella. <laughs> it's not that simple right we're gonna see be seeing bizarre weather events much more frequently mm. and much more hazardous and this report reminds us that every increment of a warming will come with more extreme weather events. I get it. It sounds terrible, but we're out of time, unfortunately. Oh. We're not going to be able no to talk No more time about for the, more disasters? Impending apocalypse today. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> so I think there are two takeaways for me. One, protect yourself and your family in the event of a catastrophe, and please support efforts to prevent further environmental damage. Those are the, that's what I think those are the big takeaways. And also adjustments to our mentality, our understanding of global warming and climate change. Mm. First of all, it's real and the victims are us. Yeah. Like all of us. It's not the earth. The earth won't be very happy, right. but we will be dead if <laughs> oh. we don't do anything about it. Goodness, hopefully not. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for your time, baby. Hey, if you guys want to add to this conversation, please email us at we love the bridge at gmail.com and we will be happy to read your comments on the air. Thank you for listening. Yes. Thank you, Jason. We'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye.